Brilliant. Nice one. Cool. So we are in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25, and it says this, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because he heard, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and, and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. And Father, we just pray, Lord, as you have spoken to us already through your word, that you would just continue as we, as we worship you in, in just the, the, the reading and, Lord, just the, 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 the proclaiming of, of your word. And Father, we pray, Father, just soften our hearts, Open our, our ears and our minds, Lord, just to respond to you. And Father, again, we pray, Lord, make us doers of the word, not just listeners. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we've been exploring over the last um, number of weeks of how Christians should learn to think and actually to live in, in the right way. And so we've discovered, at least I hope we've discovered, that the first and, and foremost, this is the work of God by his spirit. It's that moment when we come by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we, when we turn from our sins, the Bible calls repentance, and we come and we put our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ. But it's, it's also the ongoing work of God by his grace and by his spirit that makes us more like Jesus. But also as we've gone through this chapter, Paul has been showing us examples of people that we should copy and imitate. Now, we've said already that imitation can only get us so far, okay? So, um, we, we need God by His Spirit to be working in our lives, to be transforming us. But actually, imitation can be really, 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 really helpful. And first and most importantly, we copy Jesus, that's where it starts. We copy the Lord Jesus Christ, but also we can copy men like Paul and Timothy, and they can be great examples to us of how we can live like Jesus Christ. But now Paul adds a third person to the list, and his name is Epaphroditus. Now, he's not very well known. He's not mentioned hardly at all in the Bible. His name means charming, and he was. He was a pleasure to be around. In fact, he came, or he was a member of the Philippian church. They had actually sent him to be with Paul. Truth is, he volunteered. He was actually really keen to go along there to serve Paul, to, to take care of Paul's needs. And, and Epaphrodites was just a likable. He was down to earth. He was a very ordinary person. The Bible doesn't suggest that he was a great preacher doesn't even suggest that he had some amazing gifting in any particular way. He was very 
ordinary, just like you and me. In fact, we read how he even became homesick, something that I guess we at some time in our life can identify with, how he, he was anxious and concerned for his friends back in Philippi. This is an ordinary, everyday guy, and, and yet look how Paul values him. He is described as a brother, as a fellow worker, as a fellow soldier. Now, as far as we know, Epaphroditus was a Gentile, and yet he worked so closely with Paul, who is described as a Hebrew to the Hebrews. Looking at Paul's background, Paul's background, he was, he was an elite Jew. If there was a competition for Jews, Paul would have won it. He was just, he, his, his devotion and his fervor for God was like nobody else. And then we've got Timothy. Now, Timothy, he was, um, um, he was both Jew and Gentile. His, his mother was a Jew. His father was a Gentile. And we have these three people from very different backgrounds who serve together. Living proof that whatever our background, whatever our ethnicity, that there is no difference in God's eyes. We are all equal. And it's so important that we value each other in Christ. After all, we are working together. We are this, we, we're working for the same Lord. We're on the same mission. And yet at the same time, God has gifted us very differently with different gifts and different parts to play. This is 1 Corinthians 12 again, where it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. While other presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there is no division in the body and that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. And in Christ, you are all valuable and should therefore honor and, and value one another. And Epaphroditus, he lived this out. And Paul, Paul could not say enough good things about this man. He respected him greatly. And listen, surely this is such a, an encouragement for, for ordinary Christians like you and me. You know, you don't need some amazing gift to be like Paul or perhaps even like Timothy to serve Jesus. You may be young. And you may not know as much as you'd like to know. You may be a little bit older, perhaps, and not be able to do as much as you used to be able to do. But in Christ, you will always be valued and honored and useful. And God delights in you. He looks on you this morning, and he looks with love and with delight on each one of you. But Epaphroditus had another attribute that at first glance seemed sort of unremarkable or unspectacular. And it's so often underrated. 
He was a balanced Christian. It's not something we talk a lot about particularly, but balance is really important in the Christian faith, in the Christian life. You know, we, we all have our pet subjects, don't we? So we've all got certain theological drums that we love to bang, sometimes louder than others. And, and so we, we've got, we, we look at this sort of stereotypical view of maybe an evangelist. We think of evangelists as those who are always out there. They're winning the lost. They're, they just want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. And, and of course, that's absolutely so important. But actually, they can do it sometimes at the neglect of building fellowship with other Christians. But of course, the reverse is also true. So people who are, 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 are really gifted, particularly within pastoral ministry, and, and actually the danger, they can become so insular that they forget that there are people out there who need to find Jesus. Now, I'm looking at extremes here. Of course, most people, I hope, are much more balanced than that. But of course, it's also why we need teamwork within church. So we're, we're blessed. We have Peter and Catherine here, who are, whose probably primary gifting is much more pastoral. And they bring something of that to the team. And maybe Mark, who's much more evangelistic in terms of his passion, and he brings that to the team. And together, we, we create this balance. But actually, as individuals as well, we need to be balanced in the Christian life, balanced within our faith. And Epaphroditus was a balanced Christian. In fact, he was like our friend Nehemiah. Remember him from before Christmas? The guy who built, or at least rebuilt, the walls of Jerusalem. He, he did it with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. And as we know, it's very, very hard to battle with a trowel. But it's also really difficult to build walls with a sword. It takes both of, us, both of those things to accomplish God's work. And so we need, we need to be balanced in how we handle our faith and, and to be careful that we, we don't overemphasize one part of God's word, one part of the scripture at the expense of another. And there's a danger that we can become imbalanced. And if we do it can very quickly and, and easily lead us into error. And we must guard our hearts and our minds with this. So perhaps the classic example, I don't think so much these days, but certainly 10, 20 years back was the, was the spirit versus word debate. So some churches were saying, we are, we, we, we're, we're churches that are built on, on God's word. We, we value God's word so highly and often, often at the expense of maybe not really appreciating the work of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. And then other churches were saying, you know what, we're spirit-filled churches, but often then not dealing always correctly with God's word. And, and the truth of the matter is, we need both. In fact, it is biblical it's, 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 sorry, it's unbiblical to have one without the other. And word without spirit can lead to dryness and deadness. And spirit without word can lead to, lead to freakiness and, and oddness. And we need both. God's word and God's spirit together. Both extremes, both extremes can be dangerous to our faith. And uh, and we need to guard ourselves. We need to be balanced in our Christian life. And each one of us to guard ourselves and one another. That's where, again, together we do this. We grow in God's word together by his spirit together. That we're guarding each other against extremes. Epaphroditus 
did this well. The second thing about this man is that he was a risk taker. Gospel work is dangerous. People don't tell you that when you become a Christian. They don't tell you that when you start planting churches. But gospel work is dangerous. There are challenges within us. And we we need to be willing, however, to take risks. In fact, if we're not willing and prepared to take risks for the sake of Jesus, we are never going to see God's kingdom advance. And like Timothy, Epaphroditus was both concerned for others, but also actually willing, willing to do something about it. He was certainly concerned for Paul. So when he heard that Paul was in prison in Rome, he volunteers to go to Rome to make the long and the dangerous journey to go over there, to to be with Paul, to look out for Paul, to actually care for Paul. As he goes, he carries with him a gift from his local church, which he guards with his life. It's dangerous enough traveling alone of over a distance of something like 800 miles probably, but to, to carry a big lump of money with you surely leaves you much more susceptible to, to robbers and to, to thieves and, and various other things. But then in actual fact, and he, he, when he arrives in Rome, he becomes seriously ill, almost to the point of death. And then when this delays his return back to, to Philippi, and the people over there hear about it, they begin to become concerned about him. But Epaphroditus He's not so much concerned about his own needs. He's not even concerned, even though he is sick, he is more concerned about his friends back in Philippi because he knows that they are worried about him. And this man lives out Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's not Philippians 2.21, which is for everybody looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And we asked the question that we asked last week, where are you living? Where do you set up home, if you like? Is it Philippians 1.21? Is it all for Christ and for the sake of God's kingdom? Or is it 2.21? Is it more about my agenda? Is it all about me, about myself? My prayers that we live in, in 1.21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And it's out of Epaphroditus' natural concern for others that he is willing to take a risk. You know what? I doubt that he even looked upon it at that way. I don't think he thought he was being risky in what he was doing. This was just love and concern for others. The phrase that is used about him in Philippians 2.26 just shows how much this man cares. It says he was full of heaviness. This is the same phrase that is used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus is praying, Father, take this cup from me, but Lord, not, not my will, but yours be done. As he is sweating drops of blood, it said about him that he was full of heaviness. And like Jesus, Epaphroditus knew the meaning of sacrifice and service. This is the mark of a Christ-like mind. He risked his life to encourage Paul in prison. He nearly died as a result of it. 
And listen, if our concern, if our passion is for Jesus, if we want to live with this Christ-like mind, if we want to put other people's needs ahead of, of our needs, then you will joyfully take similar steps of faith. And many people will look at you and think, you know what, that just seems too risky. You've got to be crazy to even think of doing something like that, but not to you, because it's not risky. It's for Jesus. It's for Jesus. You know, it's been recorded that many of the early missionaries that went out to Africa and into Asia would pack their belongings in coffins, knowing that they would probably never come back home again. They were probably going to die for the sake of the gospel as they took the gospel message to those who lived in darkness, those who had never heard about Jesus Christ. Men and women like Hudson and Maria Taylor. Hudson Taylor was born in 1832 in Barnsley to a devout Methodist home. At the age of 17, he was dramatically converted through the prayers of his mother. He started medical school and, and eventually he set sail for China with the Chinese Evangelical Society. At the age of 21, with no formal missionary or theological training, he left the UK. Five and a half months in a boat, traveling to China, he eventually arrives in Shanghai. He learned the language very quickly. Within, within the first two years of spending time there, he engaged in 10 evangelistic journeys up into the country. But unfortunately, after four years, he felt he had to resign from the Chinese Evangelical Society because of a deep conviction that borrowing money to sustain Christ's work was just wrong. And that was the beginning of a lifetime of never being in financial debt and yet never explicitly asking anybody for money, following the example of his great hero, George Muller. On the 20th of January, 1858, He'd been in China for nearly five years when he married another missionary who was out there, Maria Dyer. They were married for only 12 years before she died. Maria, in that time, gave birth to eight children. Three of them died at birth, one in childhood, and the four that grew into adulthood all became missionaries in the mission that their father would later go on to start the China Inland Mission. In July of 1860, Hudson and Maria set sail back to England. He was seriously ill from hepatitis and what seemed like a major setback in his life soon gave rise to one of the two most decisive events within his life. He was burdened for China but as the t during those four years that he spent in England, this burden just kept growing and growing throughout his time there. In fact, he could not shake off the idea that, that there needed to be some sort of new missionary agency. His big question was, was he really the right person to lead it or not? But God birthed within Hudson Taylor a vision that would change the history of the largest nation on earth forever. That moment came on Brighton Beach. This is how he describes it. 
on Sunday, June 25th, 1865. Unable to bear the sight of a congregation of a thousand or more Christian people rejoicing in their own security while millions were perishing for lack of knowledge, I wandered out on the sands alone in great spiritual agony. And there the Lord conquered my unbelief, and I surrendered myself to God for this service. I told him that all the responsibility as to the issues and consequences must rest with him, that, his, that as his servant, it was mine to obey and to follow him, his to direct, to care for, and to guide me and those who might labor with me. Need I say that peace at once flooded into my burdened heart. There and then I asked him for 24 fellow workers, two for each of the 11 inland provinces which were without missionaries and two for Mongolia. And writing the petition on the margins of my Bible that I had with me, I returned home with a heart enjoying rest such as it had been a stranger to for months. That was the birthplace of China Inland Mission. Hudson Taylor, 33 years old. And the missionaries that would go out with him, they had no guaranteed salaries, they were not allowed to appeal for funds, and they had to adopt Christian dress and press the gospel into the interior. And Hudson and Maria Taylor, along with their family, in fact, along with the largest group that had ever left of missionaries, that had ever left the shores of the UK, set sail for China. Taylor was the leader of the group and settled all disputes. He was at times hard to work with. Not everybody appreciated his leadership and the demands that he made upon himself and upon everybody else. The second decisive event in his life happened in 1870. This was the most difficult year of his life. His son Samuel died in January. Then in July, Maria gave birth to another son, Noel, who died two weeks later. And to crown Hudson's sorrow, on the 23rd of July, his wife, Maria, died of cholera. She was 33 years old. Hudson was 38. He was left with four living children. A year later, Hudson sailed for England, and while he was there, he remarried a woman that he would spend the rest of his life with, Jenny Falding. They were married for 33 years before she died in 1904, one year before Hudson himself would pass away. And they encountered long periods of separation during their marriage, sometimes up to two to three years at a time. In fact, in his lifetime, Hudson Taylor made 10 trips to China, spending something like 10, sorry, something like four and a half years of his life on sea in a boat. He lived to see the horrible Boxer Rebellion that raged against all the Christians and foreigners in China in 1900. The China Inland Mission lost more members than any other agency. 58 adults, 21 children were killed. But the next year when the Allied nations 
demanded compensation from the Chinese government, Taylor refused to accept payment for loss either of property or of life. His, his aim was always and only to win the Chinese for Jesus, not to demand justice for himself or for his mission. In February 1905, Hudson Taylor made what would be his final trip back to China. After a tour of some of the mission stations, he died at the age of 73. He was buried by the side of his wife and his four children who had all died in China. There is a man who served Jesus, who knew the meaning of service and sacrifice. And Hudson Taylor, like Paul, like Epaphroditus, were risk takers. For them, their passion, their desire was for Jesus Christ and the gospel. It was everything to them. And they are examples that surely we must follow. We may not have the opportunity to put our lives on the line as they did, but we should be willing to risk our reputation, our wealth, our time, our energy to support the work of the gospel to proclaim the name of Jesus. The third thing about Epaphroditus is very simple and so important. He was a blessing. He was an encourager. It would be a tragedy to go through life and not to encourage or bless someone. And Epaphrodites was a blessing to Paul. He stood with him in prison. He did not even let his own sickness stop his service for the sake of Jesus Christ. But he was also a blessing to his own church. In fact, Paul asked the church in Philippi to admonish this man because of his service and his sacrifice. He says to the church, says, you know, just, just honor him. Just admonish him for what he's doing for this sort of guy. In fact, he said, I want more men. I want more women like Epaphroditus. Very ordinary, but very effective in his work. Listen, in all that we do, Jesus Christ must get the glory. It must begin there. And everything we do is always and only for him and because of him. But listen, there's also nothing wrong with the servant, with a servant receiving honor. Remember when I first began to preach after the first number of times, I, and, and occasionally somebody would come up to me afterwards and, and say, thank you, Keith, I really appreciated what you shared, or, or that spoke into my life. And I didn't know how to do, what, what to do with that sort of stuff. I thought the right thing to do, we, we have to give all the glory back to Jesus. So I would come out with something like this. Oh, no, don't be thanking me. Don't know, it, it's got nothing to do with me. I'm just a vessel, whatever that means. And, and I would come out, and, and very quickly I realized not only... Not only did it make the other person feel extremely uncomfortable, but also it robbed them of the gift of encouragement. The truth is, it was also false humility. 
it was a sin. I wasn't honoring God and not for a moment. Since then, perhaps because I hope I've got a little wiser. Maybe it's just because I need more encouragement these days. But now what I'm, my response is, thank you. Thank you so much. That just that encouragement just means so much to me. In fact, you have no idea how important that is to me. That's the right response. And folks, we need to be men and women who encourage, who bless one another. We need to grow in this. I need to grow in this. We need to be encouraging. And also, we need to be able to receive it well, too. So when somebody comes up to you and, and thanks you for something, take it well. But also be that person who actually steps up and goes. If somebody has blessed you this week, go to them and thank them for what they mean to you. Encourage them in some way as well. In fact, we remember the example of Jesus Christ. Remember the beginning of this chapter when, where, where, where Paul talks about how Christ emptied himself, how he took, takes on the form of a slave how as he goes to the cross, he literally, he takes on this gracious act of, of humiliation. What happens? God exalted him. God exalted him to the highest place, and God honors the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I can understand that for many of us, we, we struggle to identify with Jesus, but that is precisely why Paul mentions Epaphroditus here. This man who lived with service and sacrifice for God, a man who modeled the Christ-like mind. He sacrificed himself with no thought of, he's not going out looking for reward. He, he loves Paul. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not even expecting a pat on the back, but Paul encourages the church to hold him in honor to the glory of God. So be a blessing to someone. Speak a word of encouragement into someone's life and actually learn to receive it well. And perhaps, why not afterwards, if you can, somebody maybe has blessed you in the last couple of, why not go to them and just speak specifically why that person's encouraged you. Just, just tell them. Tell them how much you appreciate them. You know, Epaphrodites was a blessing to Paul. He's a blessing to his own church, but he is also a blessing to us today. And he is, he is proof to us that the joyful life is a life of sacrifice and service. But that a Christ-like mind really does work. And both he and Paul encourages us to submit ourselves to Jesus for the sake of others. Of course, it's Christ is the pattern that we follow. He is the one that we imitate above and beyond everyone else. And then Paul shows us that the power to achieve this comes from God alone, that we need to permit the Holy Spirit to reproduce the mind of Christ within us, but it's the ordinary people. It's Epaphroditus, it's Timothy that are proof that you can live with a Christ-like mind, that this really does work, that it's possible to live like this, it's possible to run into joy. So I wonder what God has been, been saying to you this morning. Is it the word about encouragement, about speaking out more? Certainly God's been challenging me on this week. It's a very practical thing. 
we need to make happen. Maybe it's about being a risk taker for the sake of Jesus Christ. Maybe God has been speaking something over your life and, and it just feels a bit scary, a bit nervous about it. It may not even be anything particularly massive, but it, it's just you're holding back for some reason. It may even be as the, we were going through the worship, perhaps you're just holding back from God himself. His word has came very clearly this morning, hasn't it? Some of us just holding maybe part of our lives back, not willing to take a risk to actually let God, by his spirit, fill all of our lives. What's God been saying? Let's respond. Let's stand and we respond to him. We're just going to finish with a song. Let's pray just for a moment. Father, by your spirit, Father, we want to open our hearts to you. And Father, just say, have your way within our lives. Father, we thank you for the models that you show us in Scripture. Thank you for, for men, Lord, like a pat for daddies, Lord, people that we can really identify with. Lord, you know, sometimes we struggle with, with Lord, we, we, we know we want to be like Jesus Christ, but we, we sometimes struggle to see how that's even possible. Lord, when we meet people like this, Lord, who model it for us so beautifully and so well. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that we would be shaped by you, Lord, that we'd walk with you, that you would help us, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you would continue to, to work within our lives by your Spirit, I pray. Father, help us. Help us, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, just, just come and minister deep into our hearts this morning. Lord, take us further into you. Continue to transform us, Lord. Continue to help us to walk like you walked in service and sacrifice. But Father, I pray also for joy as we do that. Father, we run into joy in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.